The day after his death, it looked as if whatever small mark he left on the world would rapidly disappear. Instead, his impact on human history has been unparalleled. All this from a man who could have been voted least likely to change the world. Anyone who takes the time to examine his teachings and try out his way of life ends up asking themselves in wonder, who is this man? So that's the name of our series, Who Is This Man? We're in week three of the series. My name's Dion. I'm, again, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So glad that you're here with me. Um, now, a couple of weeks ago, I had a weekend off teaching. I w- was just coming to church like you do, and I didn't have any responsibilities. And uh, as I was moving through the lobby, one of our volunteers who helps um, organize some of our volunteers for communion grabbed me, and, and he said, Pastor. And so I stopped. Um, and uh, he, he said, this is what he said. He said, he said, Pastor, I know you're not dressed for it, but we could use some help with communion. To which I replied, hey, I'm glad to help with communion, but what do you mean I'm not dressed for it? Now, uh, he, he meant well, and, and I understood what he said. Um, it was kind of an awkward conversation because really I looked like what I do today, what I do every week. Um, but, but the reality is I have three suits that hang in my closet. That's it, three suits. And um, the suits that I wear most, suit rather, I wear most often is this one. My other two suits are really old. I just don't even wear them anymore. So this is the suit that I wear most often. And um, chances are, if you see me wearing a suit like this, I haven't lost my mind. It probably just means that someone is getting married or being buried. Um, that's about the only time I wear a suit for appropriateness at those occasions. Uh, for most of you, you know that, if you know me, that my wardrobe looks more like this or like this. So, you know, three suits in my closet, a lot more of this than this in my closet. And um, on occasion, someone will suggest that maybe it's not proper for a pastor to wear jeans. You know, like it's, it's Sunday and you should wear your best and you should present yourself the best to God. And, and, uh, and if that's ever been you or if you've ever heard that conversation or if you've ever had that thought yourself and you've wondered about that, let me just reassure you of something. These cost more than that. So, so technically, if you want me to wear my best, I am, okay? Now, my question is, ultimately, what, what would it matter? I mean, if I were speaking to you today dressed like this, would my words be any more powerful? I mean, maybe you would listen to me more, and, and that's a possibility, but would my words have any more power than being dressed like this? Or if I gave you communion dressed like this, would, would it be any more meaningful? Could it be any more powerful for you? See, in culture, we're talking about this, this uh, in culture at large, we're talking about this body image crisis that we have going on, that pop culture has presented this image, especially for young girls, about what women should look like. And we talk about how it's not, it, it's not a real image. It's not an image that most people can attain to, and it's creating all of this insecurity, and it's, it's just an all-out crisis in our culture over body image. But today, I don't want to talk about that. Today, instead, I want to talk about the body image crisis within the church, that we have created amongst ourselves. And chances are you've had some experience with this body image crisis before in your life. Uh, Maybe you've visited another church before and you've walked in, and the moment you walked in, you realized that you were not going to fit in based on how you were dressed, your appearance, maybe who you had with you, 
Or maybe I hear this from single people all the time, maybe based on who you didn't have with you because you were coming in alone or without a husband or without a wife. And, and, so, and so immediately you just kind of knew, I will not fit in here. I will not belong here. Hey, lights are doing some cool things. Thanks for showing off. Um, or uh, how many of us have had those other moments on Sunday mornings where, uh, have you ever had one of these Sunday mornings where you are in a cat fight with, uh, with your family or whoever you're riding to church with, or you're just not getting along, you're not in a good mood, but, but when you cross the threshold of the church, something magically happens. Has this ever happened to you? Suddenly, something magically happens, and you go from, you know, cat fight out in the parking lot to being the perfect church family when you walk into the doors. I'm talking about, like, some of you live your Saturday nights, and you are like the Osbournes. <laughs> but then magically comes Sunday morning, you go all dugger on us. Minus about 15 kids or so, um, right? But why is it not okay to be the Osbournes on Sunday morning too? See, I think the reason that we uh, struggle so much with appearances is we want people to believe that we're good people. And for us, the best way we have to show people that, if they can't see inside of us, is, is to demonstrate that in our appearance. And inevitably, you know, the Duggars are what good people look like. See, no one is as appearance-obsessed as Christians, we've created a huge body image crisis for ourselves. Uh, the other day I was listening to an interview on the radio on NPR with Terry Gross. I don't know if you ever listen to Fresh Air. Uh, but she was interviewing a woman by the name of Nadia Boltz Weber. Now, uh, Nadia Boltz Weber, as, as you can see behind me, is, uh, is a tattooed woman, heavily tattooed. She was a stand-up comedian for years. She's a recovering alcoholic, but she's also someone who had a love for theology. She had a love for even classic liturgy. And uh, one day she was at a funeral for a friend, and she had been invited to speak at a friend who had committed suicide. And, and she spoke so powerfully and compellingly about the love of God that all kinds of people responded. And, and then she knew what she had to do next. She decided she was going to go to seminary, and she became a pastor. Not what you'd expect, right? And in Denver, she started a church called The House for all sinners and saints. The house for all sinners and saints. I love the name of that church. And uh, she started this church, and this church is now reaching all kinds of people who don't feel like they fit into the church at large, either because of their past, or because of our present struggle in their life, or largely simply because of their appearance. They don't feel like they fit into the body image that we portray as the church. We've got a crisis but I want you to know this is not a new problem. This is a problem that has gone on forever. Religious people, there's just something about religious people that makes us obsess over appearances. And even though that's been true for all of time, thanks to Jesus, we now have a new name for it and a right understanding for it. So I so still get this. In this series, what we're doing is, is we're looking at all of the things that Jesus is responsible for. That this relatively, as you heard it in the title package, is relatively insignificant, uneducated, itinerant teacher from Nazareth who lived 2,000 years ago. Somehow he has made a worldwide impact that's bigger than anyone else in all of human history. And see, I'm convinced that we do not even begin to understand how many things have changed in the world as a result of Jesus. But one thing I can tell you has changed Jesus himself was one who was willing to challenge this, this bias that we as religious people have that's all focused on appearances. And he even brought a new word, introduced a new word into our vocabulary. He coined a new phrase 
that we are going to see today uh, from the mouth of Jesus that he brought into the world that we use fairly often. So uh, today we're going to dive in to the scriptures. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7. So um, in your rack ahead of you, seat rack ahead of you, you've got a Bible. You can look at it, page 1009. Um, I should say this too. We just gave Bibles to kids. We think everyone should have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, we just invite you to take that Bible and you just take it home with you. It's not stealing. I'm giving you permission. You can take it home with you. We want you to have the Word of God accessible. We think it's powerful. And although it may be intimidating for you, um, it can be accessible for you. We want you to know that. And so go ahead and take a Bible with you today. So Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. You can also look along right up here. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus. So they go and find Jesus where he is. And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. So you get a note here. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. So when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, so why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands. Now, I just got to be straight up with you. I am totally, 100% on the side of the Pharisees with this one. (laughs) Wash your hands, people. It's disgusting, right? Um, And yet, this isn't just an issue of hygiene. I know that that is what it is for us, but uh, for, for the Pharisees and for the teachers of the law, this was actually about something greater. This was about cleanliness. Now, I know you're thinking, what's the difference between hygiene and cleanliness? This was a matter of ceremonial cleanliness. See, in the Bible, God gave his people all of these rituals, these regulations that they should follow. And then on top of those things, they added more, these rituals to keep themselves ceremonially clean. And even though it's a biblical idea, over time... The Jews of of Jesus' day, they became obsessed with this idea of becoming ceremonially unclean. So much so that that what they believed ultimately was, was that if you were a clean person, you were a good person. And if you're a good person, then you were a clean person. But if you defiled yourself and you became an unclean person, then you were no longer a good person. Which is why they're taking Jesus to task here. Saying, hey, hey, you're supposed to be a good person, a good teacher, and you're supposed to be raising these religious followers who are good, but they're not washing their hands. Not only is that disgusting, but that means that you are not good people. And I want you to see what Jesus' response is to them, because in this response, again, he, he coins this phrase that has become a part of our vocabulary, not just our vocabulary, but but people leverage this as an insult against religious people all the time, and sometimes rightfully so. But this word actually is traced back to Jesus. Look, Look what he says. He replied, Isaiah, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, was right when he prophesied about you, say this word with me, hypocrites. You hypocrites. Right there, Jesus brings a new word to light. Now, uh, how many of you have heard the word hypocrites before? Okay. How many of you have called someone a hypocrite before? Raise your hand, otherwise you're probably a hypocrite, right? (laughs) Um, It's a word that we throw around all the time. Uh, And Jesus, he brought this word into the world. Now, he didn't exactly create this word. This was a word that already existed. He didn't just make it up. This wasn't a George W. Bush moment for him where he just started making up words. Um, 
Come on, you know. Um, but, but what Jesus was doing here is he was taking a word. He was borrowing a word that existed and he, he gave it new context. See, in his world, what a hypocrite was, a hypocrites, what that was, it was an actor in Greek theater. It was someone who wore a mask and they played a part. They executed a role. That's what they did. But now Jesus is taking this word that, that was really a theater word. It described what someone did for a living or what someone loved to do for a hobby. And, they, and Jesus took this word and he applied it to the Pharisees and these religious leaders. And he said, you guys are acting not on the stage, but you are acting in real life. You're putting on masks and you are playing a part before God and before people. Now, linguistically, You can trace the use of this word in this way back to the person of Jesus right here in Scripture. It's his word. And and the reality is that it's a word that applies to all of us. We all do this sometimes, right? We all act. We put on masks. We play parts. we, We act out roles. We pretend to be better than we are. We've all attacked someone in our lives for doing something that we ourselves do, but to throw people off our scent or to draw attention away from ourselves, we've all done that. And it's it's almost like we believe, and I think this is true, it's almost like we believe that, that our favor in God's sight, our standing with God, depends on our cleanliness, our actions, our behavior, our appearances. I think we're not too different from the Pharisees. And I want you to see what Jesus says after he introduces this word. Um, He says, you know, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. So Isaiah was talking about you. Watch what he says next. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. You know, at very least, that just means it's empty. Their worship is empty. There's no heart, there's no meaning to it, it's empty. At very worst, it's actually something that they do for themselves. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So he quotes Isaiah and he says, Isaiah was talking about you guys. And then he goes on and he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Ouch. I mean, let's back up and remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees here. Now, I know for us, the Pharisees, they're, they're kind of like the grumpy old trolls of the Bible, right? Um, we, we, we see the Pharisees coming, and in our heads, we hear like the bad guy music as they walk into a scene. But that's not at all the way it was seen back in the first century. I mean, the Pharisees, they were the religious elite. I mean, they were, they were the faithful. They were the devoted. They were the most religiously faithful people that anyone knew. And so when the Pharisees would walk into a room, people would watch them. They were the examples. They were the role models of what it meant to be faithful. And here Jesus is saying, you've let go of the commands of God. You don't even care about what God says. You are all caught up in the things of men. Man, I mean, Jesus just calls these these respected leaders of religious society. He calls them out in front of everyone. He says, you guys are hypocrites. You're actors. You're phonies. You may pretend like you've got your act together, but I see what's underneath. And the same is true for us here today. God sees what's underneath. I want to ask you, does does this truth intimidate you today? That God sees what's underneath? 
should. That God sees what's underneath that polite smile and your picture-perfect family and your well-mannered life and your well-kept appearance. God sees underneath all of that. That when you throw that empty offering uh, envelope in the offering basket, God sees, he knows, you're not fooling anyone. When you're sitting in church pretending to listen but your mind is somewhere else, God sees. When you're sitting here watching people come up from communion and you're pretending to be praying but in your mind really you're running snarky commentary about how people are dressed or how they look, God sees. When you leave church and you take off your church face, that church mask, and you put it in your glove box safely for next week when you get it out again and you become a new person when you walk in the doors, you may be fooling everyone else, but God sees. He knows. He sees you as you really are. He sees what's underneath. Now, does that intimidate you? I hope it does. Because that means you aren't fooling God. It, it doesn't matter if you're fooling your spouse. It doesn't matter if you're fooling your parents, your kids. If, if you're fooling the people around you, it doesn't matter. God sees. He knows. You're not fooling him. I hope you're aware of that today. That God sees what's underneath. You aren't fooling him. I'll tell you, I'm aware of that, that I'm not fooling him either. And that's what's so intimidating about what I do week after week. See, see, I'm called to sit up here and tell you about God and and to teach you about God. And that's something that God has called me to do and gifted me to do. And And here's what happens. You begin to get this picture of me and of my life and of my walk with God that isn't accurate. And, and what you see about me is, is, is miles apart from what God sees. See, God sees me as I really am. He knows what's underneath. And I can tell you the picture of what God sees and what you see, there's a huge discrepancy between those things. And week after week, I have to come up here and live with that, knowing that that God sees me as I am and you all are being fooled and I'm not trying to fool you because I tell you I'm broken. You just don't believe me, right? You just go, oh yeah, you're broken for a pastor. I know how you guys talk. You, you You speed on occasion and that's your brokenness. No, Right? It's deeper than that. And God sees that. And I'm aware of that each and every week. And I'm not here trying to deceive anyone. I'm not. But I will say this. That I, like you, sometimes find myself playing the game. See, I can't control everything that goes on under the surface, even though I want to. I can't manage it perfectly all of the time, even though I try. And because of that, what do I do? Instead, I try to control the one thing I can control. I try to control my appearance. See, if I can't be the man that I'm supposed to be, that God calls me to be, that God wants me to be, I can at least look the part. Tell me you haven't done the same. If that's you in any way, form, or fashion, I want you to hear what Jesus says a few verses later as he's wrapping up this encounter with the Pharisees. So he spoke hard words to them, and now he turns to the crowd. It says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Now, now, now Jesus is often the king of subtlety. He really is. He'll tell these parables, and half the people are like, what? And his disciples get him in private later, and they're like, Jesus, what does that mean? And he's just like, come on, guys. Like, you don't get it. Like, Jesus is subtle so often. 
Here he's being anything but subtle. He calls the crowd to him and he says, listen to me, everyone. I want you to hear me on this and I want you to understand this because what I'm about to say is so important. It is something that you all struggle with. It's something that you all are missing, Jesus says. And I want you to get this. I want you to hear me on this. And I don't want you just to hear in one ear, out the other. I want you to digest it. I want you to understand it. This is vital. And look what he says. He says, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Okay? Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Eating with unwashed hands can't make you unclean. It can't make you into a bad person. Rather... It is what comes out of a person that defiles them. See, Jesus says this is so important for all of us who are so swept up in appearances and the outward stuff. Jesus says the outward stuff is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Your appearance, your cleanliness, your actions, they can't make you clean on the inside. Pretending to be a good person doesn't actually make you a good person on the inside. All of that outward stuff that we get so obsessed about, Jesus says that is null and void. It doesn't really matter. It's what in, what's in you. It's what's in you. It's what's in you, Jesus says, that determines that. In other words, Jesus is talking about the heart says, what comes out of you is what makes you unclean. It's not even about behavior. Because you know behavior is just a result of what's in your heart. See, this is all about the heart, Jesus says. And this is what the Pharisees fail to understand. You know, they're going around poking at people for eating with unwashed hands, saying, well, well, you're not following the traditions. You must not be a good person. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's about the heart. See, this is the danger of our hypocrisy. The danger of our hypocrisy is not just that it's offensive to God or that God doesn't like it or or that it's phony. No, no, no. See, the real danger with our obsession with all of the outward things, the ceremonies, the traditions, the appearance, is that it keeps us from dealing with what's actually in the heart. I'm talking about the sin that lives there inside of all of us. The brokenness. The insecurity. The pain. The jealousy and the envy. The violence. The darkness, the disease. Do you realize that that that's the root of your problem? And no amount of makeup, no amount of dress up, no amount of politeness can can heal a heart that's sick. And meanwhile, we run around obsessing about all of those outward things, trying to dress up a corpse to make it look good, and it just doesn't work that way. See, meanwhile, we're keeping ourselves busy with stuff that doesn't matter, that, that can't change what really counts, which is the heart. And and here's what's amazing, that Jesus makes this offer to us to to take this, 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 this filthy, broken, diseased, dark heart that we have, and he and he offers to come in and fill it with himself. And we miss out on it. 
We, we imagine that Jesus came into the earth to modify our behavior, and that's what Christianity has become. It's become about behavior modification, and it's not working. Not only is it not working, but it's not the gospel. And we think Jesus came into the world to change our appearances or to teach us about ceremonies or, or hand-washing or cleanliness, but, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came in to deal with the heart, to bring light to the places that are dark and to bring healing to the places that are sick and, and, and broken. And, and, and Jesus came to deal with the very root issue. And meanwhile, we're saying, Jesus, make me a better person. Help me look better in front of my peers. And Jesus says, no, I want to actually heal and fix the root of the problem. I want to fill your heart. But I get that this is abstract. I mean, a lot of us don't know how to do this. You know, the heart, okay, I know how to get up in the morning and get dressed and drive to church and to come and sit through a service. I get how to do that. What is all this heart stuff about? Let, letting God fill my heart? What does that mean? And I see it in the eyes of some of you who are parents. You're like, well, I'm doing the right stuff, right? I'm bringing my kid to church and taking him to children's ministry. My question for you parents is, are, are you teaching your kids about church attendance? Are you teaching them about Bible comprehension? Or are you teaching them about what it means to be in a love relationship with God? Are you teaching them about what God wants to do in their heart? See, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't know, maybe I am playing the game. If you don't know what it means to let Jesus do his work in your heart, let me break it down for you. And this is imperfect, but I think it might help. First thing is acknowledge the sickness of your heart. See, when we stop acknowledging that, that it's about appearance or behavior, when we get down to the very root of the issue, that it is this, this, this sin-filled, broken, hurting, defiled, confused heart that lives inside of us, that that is the root of our problem. When we acknowledge that, then we're well on our way. But I'm telling you, we as religious people, we as Christian people, we get so caught up in modifying behavior and dealing with appearance that we never acknowledge what's actually in the heart. True change, true life, true freedom. If you want to know not just how to be a good person, but how to live the good life, it starts with acknowledging that there's something wrong in your heart. And then the second thing is you admit how much you need Jesus. You admit that you can't heal your own heart. And although I'm a big fan of counseling, and I think it's a good thing, no amount of counseling can bring healing to the part of you that's broken. Only Jesus can. And Jesus didn't come into the world to, to teach you how to be a better Christian. He came in to heal, to bring light, to bring, to bring wholeness to your heart. And in the Bible it says that if you want to admit how much you need Jesus, there's two things you, you're called to do. One is believe in him Believe in who he is, that he's the son of God. Believe in what he did for you, that, that he went to a cross for you so that you could know life a different way than what you're experiencing now. To believe in him, to trust him. And then the Bible says, be baptized, be baptized. If you've not been baptized, we want to talk to you about that. I think a lot of us have been baptized though, and, and maybe you have been baptized as a child, but, but you never really got it. It never, it never connected for you. You're, you just never really got what it means, and, and you're at the beginning of a new journey with God. Well, maybe for you it means just going back and claiming what God gave you in baptism, reaffirming those gifts that God has given you in baptism, 
recommitting yourself to your baptismal faith. So, so you acknowledge the sickness of your heart. You admit how much you need Jesus. You, you repent and you be baptized. And then the last thing, and this is so simple and yet it's so hard to do, you let him work. You let him work. You let him work. I think this is why, while we busy ourselves with all of the behavior and the outward things, um, I think this is why we, we, we miss true life transformation. Because we look into our lives and we think that fixing us is all on us. And what happens is we, we end up inadvertently fighting against the renewing work of God in our lives. Today I'm begging you just to stop fighting him. Stop clinging to the empty traditions. Stop holding on to appearances. Stop being obsessed with the opinion of others. Stop thinking over and over again about what it means to be a good person. See, all of that stuff is getting in the way. Just just get out of the way and let him work. Let him do what only he can do for your sick heart and my sick heart. Let him come into your life with his spirit and, and bring his love there. Who of us sitting here today, who of us don't want to be loved just for who we are, just as we are? Well, I'm going to tell you that's what Jesus wants to do. He loves you as you are. He's not waiting for you to change or clean up your act before he loves you. He loves you now with an intense love, a, a, an everlasting love, a deep love that you have never, ever known, that you will never find in anyone else. And he loves you just as you are today, brokenness and all. He loves you. Who doesn't want that? Just let him love you. And let him bring his freedom to you because he can teach you so much about freedom. He can set you free from things in life that hold you. And even the things that you will continue to struggle with, he can give you freedom from being so swept up in those things and, and living out those failures over and over again. He can let you know that it is by grace you are saved. And that even though you're going to continue to struggle with things in your life, he has set you free from those things because he doesn't grade you on that scale anymore. That's freedom. See, let him bring freedom to you. Let him bring truth to you. Because without truth, we'll just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. We'll experience the same pain over and over again. Just let Jesus work. Let him plant those things deep into your heart. The great thing is, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to call out to him because he's already here. He's standing here. And you don't have to pay him or, or do anything to prove your loyalty to him. He's already paid for you. He's bought you at a price and he's demonstrated his loyalty for you. You, you don't even have to, to, to invite him in because he's, he's been pursuing you every day of your life. He's been pursuing you all day today. Just stop fighting. Stop running. Stop hiding and let him love you. Let him set you free. Let him speak truth to your life. And watch as he changes you from the inside out. See, when it comes down to it, there are two kinds of people in the world. And it's not good people or bad people. It's not religious people or irreligious people. It's not well-mannered people and people from Chicago. 
Ultimately, it comes down to two kinds of people in the world, Jesus' people and all the rest of the people. And see, when you're Jesus's, that may mean that within that category, there are good people and bad people. There are moral people and immoral people. There are clean people and unclean people. Ultimately, that's not what matters. What matters is if you're his and if he's yours. If he's dwelling in you, doing his work through you. So we've got this body image problem in the church. And it's been a problem for us for centuries. But today Jesus wants to set you free from that. He wants to catch you up in something so much bigger than appearances and action and duty and religiosity. He wants to sweep you up in his great love. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite Laura out. She's our piano player. Um, Because earlier we sang uh, this song just a few minutes ago, Sinking Deep. And uh, I love, I love, I love the bridge of this song. It talks about this love that is so deep, that is washing over us. A love that we are caught up in. It's not a song that talks about what we have to do for God, what we have to do to win his favor, what we have to do to show our devotion. No, I love this song because it simply talks about what God wants to give to us. And the message is so clear for us here today. The message is just let yourself be caught up in what God already wants to do for you. Let yourself be swept up in his love. Put away all of your obsession with external things and let your heart today be caught up in his love.